Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yopcast for September 11th, 2017, featuring poet Anna Bazicevich leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC, Jason Koo. Our September Yop was an official Brooklyn Book Festival bookend event, and the Yopcast of the open mic, as you can tell if you've listened to this pod before, is equipped with all new beats, courtesy of the Passion Hi-Fi. We decided to change up the beats just as we changed up the format of the open mic slightly. We now limit every poet to one poem of three minutes max so that we can get more poets up on stage in front of the mic per yop. Not just poets in the main lineup, but poets on the wait list. Anyway, on to the festivities. This month's open mic lineup featured... Stéphane Lerisson, Julie Hart, Cindy Tran, John Paul Davis, Corinna Munn, Emma Rojas, Emily Wilkinson, Harvey Sauce, Lauren Paris, Candy Wolf, Richard Fine, Isaac Myers III, Christian Larson Socaris, Bonnie Belay, Alan Braverman, Emily Blair, Gerald Wagoner, Arthur Russell, Tess Congo, Sebastian Bernard, Ellen Ritberg, Lauren Gerber Fleury, and Jackie Braje. So we've got 24 poets coming your way, including our professor, Anna Bazicevich. Shouldn't forget about her, so that's actually 25 poets coming your way. Let's get right to it. The Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for September. Enjoy. How is everyone doing? Everyone is ignoring me. That's, that could be an indication of how you're doing. You're doing well. You don't need to listen to me. I, I get it. This is the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for September. You can hear the music is already... It's well underway downstairs. <laughs> Sounds like they're really partying downstairs. Yeah. This is the, uh, not only the Brooklyn Poets Yop, but the Brooklyn Book Festival bookend Yop, if that's not enough bees for you. Uh, if you don't have enough bees and K's in your life, you now you have plenty. Um, a couple of announcements before we begin. Uh, if you're here for the workshop, I'm sorry to keep going over this, but it is our early registration deadline is approaching this Sunday, again, the day of the Broken Book Festival. $15 off for all students until then. If you are a member, of course, uh, workshops are $25 off. A word about membership. If you have, say, come to the Yacht for the first time tonight and liked what you saw or experienced, I guess you did more than just see, at the workshop, and you want to get a membership, you can actually tell the person at the door, buy the membership, and get your $10 back if you want to do that. Uh, admission is free for a year if you have a membership. So basically, if you're going to plan on coming to like eight yops during the year, it's already a deal. If you come to all 12, you're basically getting them half off. So uh, it's a good deal. Also, if you're a student, senior, or educator, it's an extra $10 off. So, we, I mean, it's just like deals, you know, <laughs> spilling out of your ears left and right. Um, memberships right now are $60. That's the basic Voyager membership. But, again, for seniors, students, and educators, it's 10 So uh, the value of the yacht for the year, if you pay for the workshop, is $120. I'm sure you did all that math in your head before I explained. <laughs> but uh, just in case you didn't. <laughs> Um, we will be at the Brooklyn Book Festival in uh, what they call the Literary Marketplace, a very fancy term for the booths that people are slaving away at, usually for free. 
Uh, we will be at booth 308. I'm sure you'll all remember that number. If you don't remember it, there is a newsletter going out tomorrow morning. So if you want to get that newsletter, sign up for our newsletter. If you're already on it, don't worry about it. Booth 308. We will have the Brooklyn Poets Anthology for sale, $5 off, along with all of our swag. Uh, I don't know what the discount will be. Probably some be some amazingly generous discount. You'll just tell your grandmothers about it afterwards. Uh, if you like our sweatshirts, we will be restocking those for the fall. I know a few of you have asked about that. It will be cold. It's hard to imagine now, right? But it will be cold again soon. Okay, on to the open mic. A couple of things because uh, we are doing things a little bit differently beginning with this September YAWP. This is now uh, the middle of our fifth year doing the Brooklyn Poets YAWP uh, workshop and open mic. One big change we are making is you are limited to one poem on the mic. And you see, you see this, I'm looking, <laughs> some of you like that, I know others of you probably do not. You get the same time limit, three minutes, but I'm limiting you to one poem, pr pretty much just because all the people on the wait list were screwed <laughs> month in and month out because, uh, you know, many people went over that limit. It's fine, I, you know, I really didn't care, but uh, I feel bad for the people on the open mic wait list. Uh, I would like to see more poets get up here. Usually it's like one poem that really stands out anyway, so you know you might as well just read that one really good poem that everyone's gonna remember. Uh, you know, everyone that was reading two, three poems almost always was going like five, six minutes, and that's just, come on. Uh, we have a community of poets, it's not just you. I, you know, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't have to talk to me about self-love, like I'm very much a proponent of self-love, but I am also as you probably should know, a proponent of community. So let's respect the community as well as the self here. One poem, three minutes max on the mic. Uh, we'll see if anyone dares to go over that. I'm sure this, uh, poets are all about trespass, so I'm sure somebody will figure out a way to go, go beyond the rule of law here. Uh, if you don't know, now we have five open spots at the start of the open mic in case you can't, you know, unlike Arthur, you haven't signed up the minute after this yop ends. Sorry, Arthur, him. You're just like, you know, you're here, so. And I know you won't get mad. No, or, I just signed up. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Arthur has already signed up. But if you don't remember to sign up for the open mic in advance for the next month, uh, we do save now five spots at the beginning. You just have to show up here early, like Julie. Julie was here, I think, at like six, or somewhere around there. And you can sign up for that. Also, the wait list is now open as well. Okay, wow, I'm going to accelerate through the rest of these announcements. Every month, every, every month, what is that, French? Every month. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Korean. Yeah, it's a kind of it's a kind of Korean. Uh, it's a like Korean terrorized by the threat of nuclear war. Every month, every month, we vote for poem of the month at the YOP by audience vote. The way you vote for poem of the month is by texting me. This is the first time I'm going to tell you my uh, private cell phone number seven one eight. I mean, is is there a public cell phone number? Probably not. So this is a private slash public cell phone number. It's obviously very public. 718-374-1953. Uh, I ask you to wait till the end of the open mic to vote. Uh, really, you shouldn't vote for yourself. You can. If I don't have your number, I probably won't notice. If I have your number, I'll definitely notice, and that's fine. But uh, I'll tell you this. No one who has ever voted for themselves has ever won. So... Uh, that's probably karma talking. 718-374-1953. You can just tell me the poet's name, or if you remember the title of the poem, you could. But honestly, the poet's name is probably the easier way for me to remember. Um, we record every open mic uh, as a podcast. We call it the Yawpcast. It is uh, published on iTunes and SoundCloud. Subscribe to that. 
if you can, rate us on iTunes. We would love it. Again, it's like me and my fiance who <laughs> rated the Yopcast. So please, come on, Arthur. Like, what are you doing? Get on there. Give it whatever you can. Five. I'm assuming five stars is the most you can get. Uh, but if you don't want to be in the recording, please let me know either afterward. Uh, you can talk to me in person or by email. I will strike you from the recording. It's not at all a problem to expunge you from the historical record at the open mic. Uh, am I forgetting anything, Arthur? No, I think Ricky is not here. Yeah, why isn't he here? What the hell is wrong with him? Okay, are you ready? That's terrible. People of Brooklyn, are you ready? <laughs> Much better. Our first reader tonight is our wonderful professor. Give it up for Anna Bazicevich. I know you said one poem, but my poems are like not even 30 seconds long, so. Oh, wait. That's not, that's not fair. Um, but okay, my time, time is of the essence. Uh, <laughs> it's called Blessing. Blessing. A white stag came up to me and said, you'll never be an artist. I said, thank you, thank you. True story from a dream. Um, okay, second poem. It's called LOL, LOL. Life is low, love is low, pain is low, the wind is low, cats are low, dreams are low, you are awake when all is low. Thank you. not prepared. That was probably the quickest featured <laughs> reading of all time. I'm sure they all appreciate that. You read, it's incredible you read two poems, but uh, it just totally blew up everything I just said. Two poems <laughs> took like uh, less than a minute. Uh, but thank you. Well done. Our first reader tonight, uh, I'm going to try to pronounce this last name. I usually do a decent job, but correct me if I'm wrong. It's Stefan Larison here. Yeah. Is it Larison? Oh, thanks. You see that amazing French right there? But let's just do it in, in my ridiculous approximate. Stefan Larisson. Give it up for Stefan. Uh, excuse me? Oh. Thank you. Uh, this poem is how I feel about the fact that it takes light time to travel to us. How physics keeps us apart. From a few paces, your image had to travel to me, and by the time it arrived, that moment of you had already died. I was blind. Your preceding ghost blocking my vision, setting for a virtual delay, and my memory was a cemetery for your smile and your profanity and the crooked in your eyes for that confession you made. I watched you die little by little, again, again, and again just seconds blinks after you lived, making our years unbearable. I can never know you now unless I hold you against me without the light between us. Nice. <laughs> you are tall. 
Of course, when we go to this new format, the first two readers are like super quick and efficient. And now I'm just like, what's wrong? Everything is happening so quickly. I have to, I have to adapt. Wow, like it's a totally new world. Uh, we're going to hear like 40 poets tonight, maybe. All right, we'll see. Our next poet is a former Yopper of the Year. Get up for Julie Hart. Thank you. It's good. All right. Uh, this poem was written at uh, Miller Oberman's workshop, The Poetic Beasts. And we were responding to poems that he had given us in a pa uh, you know, packet. And this one is f um, after a Gary Soto poem called Failing in the Presence of Ants. The title is Falling in the Presence of Ants. Mm. And there's a what do you call it, a little quote, epigraph, that's it. They're more human than we are. Do we live to some purpose? I will dispute this with you later, Gary. But first, in Java we go to Bogor's botanical garden among the buttressed canopy trees, so tall I can't tell what their leaves look like, and I stand looking up, head thrown back upon my neck, shifting position in hope of identifying the leaf in my hand. I feel a slight nip then discover my unlaced boots a swarm with brick-red ants. The nips continue, now on my ankles, up under my loose muslin pants. I see I have stepped into their highway, and are they pissed? <laughs> I jump away from the antic red stream, but the nips keep coming. I hot-foot it back to the bench where you, Gary, sit unconcerned. They're on me, they're on me, I yell as I run in circles around you. I kick off my boots, and right there in the gardens of Bogor, I strip off my pants and slap at the ants, still clinging by their mouth parts to my socks. Are they more human than we are? I can't believe you posited this as a statement, Gary. I hardly distrust the anthropomorphic, but this surely proves they are just as tribal. Several of them died just to get me to step away from their highway, something I would have done eventually anyway. Are ants impatient or merely programmatic? All the rest of that day, both real and phantom nips plague me. The whole acreage of my skin crawls with a cite of tiny feet. Ants resist ambiguity. I resist purpose. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, Alan. <laughs> I'll just leave this here. Our next reader is a very fine poet. Uh, I can vouch for her personally. I, uh, I was about to say took a workshop with her, but it doesn't make any sense. I led a workshop in which she was in it. Give it up for Cindy Tran. American sentences. One, he looks at my name tag and asks, what's your real name? I tell him that Cindy is what's printed on my birth certificate. What's your middle name? My. I knew it was in there somewhere. Two, on Franklin Avenue, he bumps into me and says, watch where you're going. Three, I stand at the bus stop and an old man turns to me. I fought in Nam. You're here because of me. Four. On Grand, he bumps into me and shoves me to the side. Five. 
In an Ikea parking lot, I yield. He signals me to roll down the window of my U-Haul truck, laughs, not too bad for an Asian woman, and speeds away. Six, on University Avenue, he bumps into me and says, you're in my way. Seven, in his office, I hear my therapist call me beautiful and call himself colorblind. He says my anger at him is really anger at my parents. He calls this transference. On Broadway, eight, he bumps into me and says, didn't see you. Nine, my friend has brain cancer and enrolls in a clinical trial. He asks if I would sleep with him before he dies. When I say no, he asks if I have any Asian friends who would help him. 10. On Central Avenue, he bumps into me and says, bitch. 11. A friend lends money to help me move to college. Halfway through paying him back, he says he can't help but feel like I owe him something else. 12. My mentor encourages me to embrace my youth and pursue writing. After I turned 21, he asked if he could take nude photos of me. 13. I stand in the aisle at the end of a Delta flight. There's no room in front of me. There's no room behind me. A man gets up and discovers room above my shoulder for his elbow, room in front of my ribcage for his carry-on, and room above my toes for his Oxford. I say, ouch. He says, well, excuse me. 14. No is a miracle word that cured him of his brain cancer and kept saving my life. 15. Last week, I heard a woman say, I will only ever be someone's first Asian girlfriend. And I felt power. 16. Every time a white man went out of my life, my life got better. 17. Every time a friend stands up for herself, I feel her power bring me back to life. Thank you. You know what I like to say, Isaac? Exactly. <laughs> Fuck that guy, but plural. Motherfucker. Great poem, Cindy. Uh, our next reader, I believe, is a Yop debuter. Give it up for John Paul Davis. I am a debuter. I'm a cancer, and I like long walks on the beach. Speak to a representative. The loudspeaker recordings on the subway are of men when giving commands, women when describing the future, like what the next stop is or how far away the next downtown train is. Someone hacked the credit agencies, and now anyone could become me. The president's voice is a grift, is the misty puff of dust that filthies a room again when a vacuum cleaner bag bursts. I used to nightmare that nuclear war spat all over our homeland and I had to trouble and scheme my way south to where my children live. In the dream, I never reach, I never learn if they're alive. I expect the phone tree computer voice of the credit agency to sound like a robot that had mistaken itself for a god. Uh, 
Of course, in the event of an Armageddon, I wouldn't survive the 800-mile journey, even if I lived through the bombing, but the dream doesn't know that. Like, it doesn't know that a nightmare comes from the Old English for a female spirit who tormented sleepers. And her voice must have spoken like the rasping of a warhead hawking up a short-lived sun over a city. The voice prompt asks me deeply personal questions, and I feed it history about my mother, and then recite a number I've carried with me my entire life, which feels as familiar as my middle name, but I get no closer to an answer. The hold music they play is terrible, but imagine being the musicians playing it. Maybe the bassist called this number, too, after her loan application was declined. And if so, does she feel proud of her work? The next stop is the ninth circle. I bet she has a foggy voice, the color of twilight. Hold music plays as I soldier along an empty interstate through the ravaged landscape. This call is going nowhere. This used to be a beautiful country. I wake up holding a torn and burnt flag, and for a moment, as I stretch, I'm relieved, mistakenly believing the president to be dead. Thank you, John Paul. Well done. Do you go by John Paul, by the way? Sure. Yeah. It's always, I mean, it's such a great name. Because of Led Zeppelin. That's the only thing. That's true. Do you guys remember Led Zeppelin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the the Pope is a little less sexy, but you know. If you're if you're into that kind of thing, maybe <laughs> maybe it's spiritually sexy. Not that John Paul Jones is not spiritually sexy. Wow, sometimes I just back myself into a corner rhetorically. I do that I do that often. I do that it's like a, yeah, it's like the Jason Koo thing. All right, our next reader is a Brooklyn Poets Fellow. Give it up for Corinna Munn. Yeah. Uh, do I? No, I think I, I got it. You're a I know, thanks. <laughs> All right, uh, this is a poem that I wrote for um, Jay Dishpande's Odes Workshop. Um, I'm really not sure if it's an ode, though. You can decide for yourselves. To the girl who called me Dyke on the sidewalk. I don't remember if you were what they call pretty. I think you wore a miniskirt and had long hair and makeup. You were drunk. Maybe you wouldn't have said it if you weren't drunk. That's not an excuse, just a possibility. I've been trying to figure out how I feel. It happened a time ago, not a long time ago, but not recently either. It happened in my hometown. It happened where I grew up. I could say I'm sorry that you felt the need to say it, that you thought it was okay to say it, that this world turns women against each other in competition for male attention, that you felt so defensive you felt the need to distance yourself and call me other, that you felt threatened by what, my short hair on my head, on my ankles barely showing, tell me by what, my clothes were more feminine that night than they usually are these days. I've been trying to figure out how I feel. I could try to imagine what it's like to be you, maybe pretty girl with long hair, maybe prettier in a miniskirt and makeup, 
maybe just sluttier. Maybe that's what you were going for. Like I used to when I still went to college parties, trying to look available and fun, maybe on your way to a party, already pre-drunk, hoping to catch the eye of that guy from your required writing comp class. The one with curly hair and strong jaw, broad shoulders and strong arms, arms you hope will hold you, arms you'd like to touch to run your hands up and over broad shoulders and into curly hair and a pretty mouth you'd like to kiss, yes, you'd like to do all sorts of things with. The one who plays with his phone in class and gives the professor a blank look when called on. The one who smiled at you three and a half times and you think you really might have a chance with him. Maybe tonight, maybe if you're drunk enough to do things you wouldn't usually do. Drunk enough like I used to try to get, but there's this girl on the sidewalk and you're not really aware of how much space you're taking up. You're just thinking of writing comp boy and that nothing has the right to stand in your way. Not tonight when you're finally drunk enough, when you finally have a chance. I'm trying to figure out how I feel. Or maybe you've been dating writing comp boy for a few months now, and you thought it was going well, but you were just at a party where you saw him with another girl. So you got drunk, you got angry, angry at every girl in the world who could take him away from you. His curly hair, strong arms, jaw, mouth, the security, the way he made you feel important, worthy, better than any girl whose boyfriend didn't have those arms, jaw, mouth, better than any girl who didn't have a boyfriend at all, like you now, apparently, after what you saw at the party, and so you got drunk and angry, and wanted to make it clear that at least this one girl on the sidewalk, the one with the short hair, couldn't possibly have taken him from you. That if you can't have him, neither can she. I could say, I'm sorry you thought you needed him so much, wanted him so bad. Sorry you felt so insecure. Sorry that in that moment you decided to hate me because it was easier than hating him or hating yourself. Or maybe there was no writing comp boy with curly hair and strong arms. Maybe there was a dead father or dead family pet, or maybe you were failing writing comp and worried about losing your scholarship. And maybe you had a fight with a friend, or maybe you're just a bigot because you were brought up that way and haven't had enough time yet to change your head. Or maybe it just slipped out like an old habit you were trying to break. Maybe you regretted it right after, or after a minute, or an hour, or a year. They're not excuses, they're just possibilities. Or maybe you didn't even remember any of it by the next morning. Maybe you remember and you you don't regret it still. Maybe instead of trying to figure out how you felt, I should figure out how I feel because I still don't know if I'm going to forgive you by the end of this poem. I still don't know what I get from forgiving. I'm still trying to figure out what to feel. You were barreling towards me in a miniskirt. You were drunk and maybe pretty and maybe trying to look available and maybe there was a boy or dead father or dog or maybe none of those things and your body collided with mine despite the fact I tried to move aside, despite the fact I was walking abreast with friends, despite you having room to step aside. Yes, as easy as a single step, but you couldn't be bothered because you were drunk, because you hated the way I looked, even though I tried to move, tried to to make myself smaller, even though my clothes were more feminine than they usually are these days, even though it was my hometown, I grew up there, even though I still don't know how I feel. And when I said, what the hell, because you just shoved into me on the sidewalk in my hometown and being drunk is no excuse, you turned around and yelled, watch where you're going, dyke. What does forgiveness mean anyway? I don't think it's in maybes or not excuses. I don't think it's even necessary, but maybe it's just slipping into another person's skin. 
and walking around for a bit, looking through their eyes when they first open them in the morning and seeing the way the light slants through the window and makes the room look like something from a movie or a dream you had last night and your bed is a cradle, is a womb, and you haven't yet been born, and you hold a world of possibilities in the space behind your teeth. Thank you, Corinna. Amazing poem. That was Corinna Munn. Before that was John Paul Davis, Cindy Tran, Julie Hart, and Stefan Lerisson. <laughs> My French gets worse every time. <laughs> Our next reader made her fantastic Yop debut last month. Give it up for Emma Rojas. there's a lot of poignant uh, emotions in a lot of the poems tonight. Um, well, mine is, um, uh, I'll just go for it. <laughs> it's uh, at 10th and 20th. Red leather banquettes boisterously pop against tables washed in candlelight, and burning bush is turning color in the autumn-tinged air. This is where it begins, X or Y, this or that. Tonight, it's between the merluza or cod. A bright-eyed blonde can't decide. Fish in the same family, nearly identical in flavor, semi-sweet and mild. It's the experience of the bite that sets them apart. Larger, buttery-flaked merluza or firmer, medium-flaked cod. This, I surmise, because I'm a whole food, plant-based vegan. And personally, I'd choose neither for extensively researched, educated reasons. This, <laughs> this fact slams on the back of my teeth, momentarily rendering me speechless. It seems a trivial matter to most, and I've been told that vegans make up less than 1% of our population, as though being a minority is akin to inferiority. The logic of this makes me wince, and I can tell the indecision of this young woman is causing her pain, so I relieve her, tell her to get the cod, because the richly flavored five-minute tomato sauce and fresh herbs it is finished with is the perfect pairing to the unoaked Beaujolais Blanc she is sipping. She smiles as though I've saved her from great agony. It's terribly endearing. And just for a second, and only a second, I miss being that sweetly oblivious to the web of life our everyday choices tear down or build up. Thank you, Emma. I recently became vegan. I should say partially vegan. <laughs> if that, <laughs> that, doesn't sound, that doesn't sound too ridiculous. I mean, because <laughs> you know, I'm basically pescatarian, but, uh, <laughs> but it's like I pretty much am vegan, because my fiance is vegan, so, and she does all the cooking, so it's just like... I'm happy to eat whatever she makes, honestly. I'm just like, whatever, it's fine. If you're making it, that's awesome. 
But, uh, yeah. But it's, uh, and also, like, sometimes I'll eat Korean barbecue, so it's like, I mean, <laughs> but that's just like a heritage thing, right? I can't, I can't give up my Korean identity completely. I mean, have you had Korean barbecue? For fuck's sake. I don't think you would be vegan if you had Korean barbecue. <laughs> Alan Braverman, thank you. Thank you for backing me up, Alan. Uh, my, so basically, the moral of the story is my morality is very slippery, you know. If, if you weren't aware of that already. Yeah. <laughs> Our next reader is Emily Wilkinson. Give it up for Emily. This is called The Collapsing Universe. When she said now would be a good time to talk about the past, she wanted to say that at night, after watching the fireworks through her window, she practiced wrapping her body, her, sorry, her whole body in bandages, firm but not tight, packing her torso, each limb, each finger and toe, her neck and head in stretch fabric to stop the light from seeping in. When the bandages scratched her skin as she moved towards the time machine, what she actually felt was the weight of the universe collapsing against her body. She traveled back to the summer after her ninth birthday where they built campfires at night, performed light shows with sticks glowing at the ends and danced in the darkness like fireflies. When they ate slowly caramelized bananas, still hot and wrapped in foil and ash, she wanted to say the bright buildings had grown far enough away for the stars to float down from the Milky Way and join the sparkling twigs, while burning sap popped in the embers. Thank you, Emily. Our next reader is Harvey Sauce. That's all I got. Give it up for Harvey Sauce. You figure this out. Putting lettuce on a burger is not being partially vegan. I just want you to know. I'd like to take a moment to invite you to. Uh, an open mic that I host on the last Sunday of each month from 1 to 3 at the historic Montour Club in Park Slope. Uh, information and directions are on the table over there. Uh, come, listen, bring a friend, read. Uh, deletion failed. I wasn't deleting anything. Uh, this one is called, well, first, as a note, uh, Wayne LaPierre is uh, chief prick of the NRA, for those who don't know. Son of a gun. She lay there smoking an unfiltered cigarette, finishing one she had rolled earlier, thinking as she exhaled, only in America. Where else can a woman and a gun join in perfect union? Dad a cocked Glock shooting his wad without a condom. Smoke was still coming from his barrel a brass shell casing lay on the pillow like an individually wrapped mint at Motel 6. I was the issue of this one-off shooting. A gun range became my bassinet. 
plug paper targets and posters of Wayne LaPierre watched over me. Nobody messed with me in preschool. No undocumented nanny checked my diapers for fear I was carrying, protected by cold, dead steel of the NRA. My idea of an okay tranny was and remains the Jekyll Hyde of Annie Oakley come Bill Hickok, covering all bases, long gun and short gun. Favorite color per yearbook? Gun barrel gray, naturally. Favorite place to visit? Tombstone, especially OK Corral. Favorite cartoon character? Deputy Dog. Where others enlisted Santa's aid for a pony, I insisted upon my own quick draw McGraw. By five, I could spell survivalist. By 10, I helped dig our first fallout shelter, stocked with Campbell's soup cans and beef jerky, electrified against two insistent neighbors. When several years later, I directed my pit bull to go forth and fetch, pointing towards the nearest blue state. It was dead squirrels, I meant. I didn't intend for Savage Sam to tear the throats out of revenuers. It was only stew meat I was after. That and barn owls I'd knocked off beams with a single shot through the eye. Thank you, Harvey. That was Harvey Sauce. Before that was Emily Wilkinson and Emma Rojas. Our next reader is a longtime Brooklyn Poets student. Give it up for Lauren Paris. Yeah. Hi. Thank you. I'm good. How are you? Good. Now. <laughs> okay, great. Um, this poem is called, So, What Are You Looking For? To be one who feels absence when it isn't there. To wish things for newborn babies who barely have impulse, only have impulse. What is that called? The human condition. Being alive or dead in a memory, still wanting, still having what to give. It's Saturday morning, and my worship is on the train. Where else should I look for godness? No answer. It's Shabbat. This is my shacharit. I am grateful to have my soul back, but see, I don't think it leaves at night to walk in the dark. I know my soul dreams to memory. My memory says, no soul went missing, and no soul returned. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Lauren. Damn good. Was that, uh, it's Saturday morning, and my worship is on the train? Is that what he said? All right. Make sure I get the tweet right. If you want to 
tweet about this Prokopov hashtag. I just got, I think I caught you looking at me. I'm just like, what is he talking about? <laughs> hashtag Brooklyn Poets Yop, where all the greatness happens. Our next reader is Candy Wolf. Give it up for Candy. I think I need help. <laughs> oh, hello. Oh, okay. This one is called 16th Anniversary. It's difficult for me to begin this poem because it hurts even after 16 years. Remembering that day, leaving in darkness and arriving in light. Calling my mother to say I arrived safely with my backpack carrying the day's papers and purchasing my chocolate chip muffin with my tea of the day, Earl Grey. Helping my regular morning customer, Sandra, as we talked about her upcoming vacation to the Dominican Republic. The day changed after my manager and friend, Sherry, arrived. <coughs> I was in the back stock room when I heard a loud, deep bang from above. I thought it was hard renovation. We began running without knowing what we were running from. I remember images of buckling ceilings, piles of shoes, a sculpture piece that I recognized to be part of the design on the tower, but now it was on the sidewalk. Somehow I knew that that was an important piece, yet I didn't pick it up. As I ran with what seems like thousands of others, I heard the word plane, and I dismissed it. Then the loudest explosion echoed through the air, and I thought the city was being bombed. I remember seeing that little girl with the red coat from Schindler's List, and she was running through my mind. I ran inside a bodega to buy a bottle of water for survival and a payphone appeared as I continued running. I stopped to call my mother because that was my first order of business so she'd know that I got out. She did what mothers do by giving me a direction. And she said, go to Ellen's office uptown, my sister. When I arrived there, the television was on and the North Tower was shown crumbling the words under it said, World Trade Center, attacked and destroyed. It was overwhelming to me to know that I was there when the whole world changed. I came to Brooklyn Poets tonight in an Uber. My driver's name was Daniel, and he seemed very kind. I shared my experience with him as I was putting it out on my poem. He was 14 when it, when it happened and his father told him that two planes had crashed right into the World Trade Center and he said he didn't believe it. Before I got out of the car, Daniel said to me, you should cry if you need to. I said, thank you for saying that. Then we looked at each other and we said, stay safe. Thank you.
Thank you, Candy. It's hard to believe it's been 16 years. And guess what? The world is even more fucked up now than before. It's incredible. Progress, right? Humanity. Our next reader is Richard Fine. Give it up for Richard. Eidetic memories. <clears throat> I sailed the ferry across the bay to see what my father saw long ago. For I seek his memories, those images he held in his mind for 50 years after he had sailed into this bay. He told me that the sky was heavy with broken clouds through which Sunlight pierced, pierced, dappling the bay and spotlighting the pier as if God were pointing the way. A sailor on a passing ship waved to him. I am trying to enter my father's memories, for I am the same age as he when he died. And my business suit also squeezes me as tightly as it squeezed him. But no sailor waves to me now, and no biblical shaft of light points the way to a promised land. I can't claim his senses as my own or trespass upon his private memories. I am paying my fare as he once paid his. It's my turn to cross on the ferry, but not to sail to my father's world. For that, is no, for that is his alone. No, I must sail into my own memories. That day, at my father's office, I am 12. We are eating salami and cheese sandwiches. Dad is drawing the face of that sailor who greeted him on his first day here 50 years before. I recall the smiles most of all on my father's face and on the sketch of the welcoming sailor. Yeah. Thank you, Richard. Very beautiful poem. That was Richard Fine. Before that was Candy Wolf. Before that was... Lauren Paris. The number, once again, to vote for Poem of the Month, 718-374-1953. If you haven't been here before, the winners of Poem of the Month over the past year compete for Poem of the Year honors in December. That's December 11th, the December yop. We'll have a shortened open mic that night, and then these poets are going to throw down. And uh, as I said last time, so far all of the winners over the past year have been women, so... Let it be known, the women are kicking ass in 2017. The men, I don't know. <laughs> Not that you've been bad. They've just been a little better. Our next poet is Isaac Myers. Get up for Isaac.
Evening. Uh, one poem. Um, <laughs> empathy. What's the best way for a man to wait for a woman? How should he carry his backpack? How fast should he ride his bicycle down DeKalb Avenue on a Saturday in September? How often should he think of her? And when he does, how soon should he try to shake her from his mind? What's the best way for a man to keep his room during those weeks or months between the evening when she says, we'll talk soon, and the morning when he's at home on a quiet Sunday and writing and looks up between a line break because his phone is ringing and she's calling. How quickly should he put down his pen and pick up the phone? What's the best way for a man to sound glad to hear from her but not too ecstatic or shocked or surprised? <laughs> should he wear the brown tweed blazer, white shirt, and navy tire, slip on the forest green cardigan sweater as he walks out of the door on a November afternoon to meet her again? Should he order an Americano, or a cappuccino, or a latte, or gunpowder green tea when they step into a coffee shop along Franklin Avenue because they've been walking all afternoon beneath his umbrella but still are nearly soaked by the rain? What are the best, what are the best lines that a man could write in his journal about wisdom and faith as he searches himself for the patience and strength to enjoy the first frost of autumn without her? Flaubert's A Sentimental Education, or Goethe's The Sorrows of Young Werther. A breath mint or chewing gum for the evening they walk together down Bedford Avenue again on the last Friday of October. And if he wears a costume to the Halloween party, should he dress in all black or all white? Should he look like death or an angel? What's the best way for a man to wait for a woman? Or should he close his notebook, turn off the tea kettle, step outside, lock the door behind him, pause, look up and deeply toward the night sky for any sort of signal or sign or suggestion to run toward her. The truth is a brick wall that no amount of desperation can run through. So if he knows laughter and trust and has spent enough quiet evenings alone wrapping his arms gently around empathy, he waits. Thank you. God damn, that might just be the one. I like that one. <laughs> the one guy, maybe, maybe. Great job, Isaac. Our next reader is another guy. Give it up for Christian Larson Zokaris. I was going to read something, and now I'm going to look for a light one. Um, I've lived now through many generations of styles and how people wear their jeans. From the tight cuffs of my grade school years, the first style choice I picked up from my friends, a fashion consolation from the parachute pants my parents refused to buy. Then I watched the worn out jeans of the early 80s turn into the distress treatments of the late, leading to the fir first turn of the broken refrain. I can't believe people pay for jeans with holes in them. <laughs> While hip-hop and bad middle-aged style converged on a baggy mess. During those years, I bought girls tall styles so I could find something that actually fit. Sometimes a guy would come up to me and ask where I had gotten them, impressed by the look. 
When I told them to shop in the women's section, <laughs> the reactions were incredulous at best. Then in the late 90s, jeans that didn't sag started to turn up in the sections for men. Thus began a new denim epic and a turning point in my shopping life. <laughs> Yet quickly the pendulum had overswung, leading to the first unisex skinny jeans period that I've had to live through. Having experienced all this, I was sure we sat at the precipice of denim chaos. But just then, bootcut styles rushed in, leading the wave of a 70s resurgence that swept like wildfire across the fashion landscape. The green shoots that emerged after this conflagration were as surprising as anything that had come before. The previously unthinkable, high-water look, the lifelong enemy of cool was coming to the fore. Both horrified and amazed, I felt the liberation of knowing that at least with denim, all things were now possible. Thank you, Christian. The guys are acquitting themselves well, back to back. Our next reader is a woman. Give it up for Bonnie Belay. Is that Belay or Billy? Bonnie Belay. All right, give it up for Bonnie. Bonnie B.A., maybe Belay. Straight talk. I used to talk smack to strangers until someone told me I was mean. <laughs> Sometimes I see in people's faces that they've stopped listening, but I run on to the end of the story. You laugh now, I'm going to sit where I am. Okay. I've said things that killed friendships. I've overshared, thinking it didn't matter, finding it did. Changing, I experiment with giving simple compliments. Beautiful window boxes. You're so good with your little boy. I swallow my insecurities. I stop fighting as if everyone else is wrong. On the days when I have self-control, I practice silence. All right, well done. Next poet, <laughs> this is the hover effect. Next poet is sitting right next to Bonnie. Give it up for Alan Braverman. I feel elevated. Okay, um, my poem is simply titled Water, written a while ago and updated since the uh, surge, recent surge of hurricanes in our hemisphere and beyond, and hope it's within the limits of three minutes. I'll read it quickly. Water, a compound of hydrogen and oxygen in its purest form, transparent and colorless, boiling at 212 degrees and freezing at 32 covering 70% of the Earth's surface from oceans to seas, rivers, estuaries, lakes, streams, ponds, currents, waves, and waterfalls. And I keep it flowing as life emerges in these primordial seas, paralleling the fetus evolving in, a, in the amniotic fluid, where plants and animals diversified, changing in comp into complex organisms, Water is there for nourishment, travel, irrigation, to spawn life and bring death from floods, tidal waves, and hurricanes. 
as we attempt to control the forces of nature with levees, dams, artificial lakes, and canals, only to succumb to its power when, as written in ancient Iraq in the third millennium BC, 1500 years before Homer, the time has come of the great rain. Oh, there is an ample warning, yes, my friend, but it's terrifyingly still. Buildings blown by the winds for miles like desert brush. People during uh, clung to branches of trees until roots gave way. New possessions, now debris, floated with their special sterile vacancy. The riverbanks failed to hold the water back. This Sumerian epic called Gilgamesh does resonate with the tsunami hitting Indonesia in 2004. A year later, Hurricane Katrina impacted on New Orleans with tragic results in the flooding in Haiti and Bangladesh. In the same year where, where Hurricane Sandy struck with a vengeance, on a biblical scale in 2012, impacting on the Northeast, followed by Patricia in 2015. Another female storm that raged against Mexico and Texas, then Harvey in 2017, storming through New Orleans and beyond, with at least 63 dead, while Cyclone Mora devastates parts of India, Nepal, Bangladesh, killing over 1,200 people, and now Irma, targeting the Caribbean reaching landfall in Florida, and no real solutions when the experts are in charge. Thank you, Alan. Nice ending. So I like to say, fuck that guy. <laughs> the expert in charge, unbelievable. Do you just wake up every day making that sound? <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, whose poem was that? Was that Corinna's? That comp guy? Yeah, I teach comp. That's like I know. Ex I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like that's the guy in charge. Anyway, sorry for all this bad energy to introduce the next poet. Uh, let's get positive now. Our next reader is Emily Blair. Give it up for Emily. is called The Nest. Every winter I forget to remove the nest from under the air conditioner. Sparrows have up to four broods a year, so once the steady screeching cry of baby birds starts in springtime, it never stops. At 4 a.m., it feels unnecessary. <laughs> Won't the parents keep coming back with insects no matter what? But I get it, baby birds. I call my mother constantly to rattle on about my life. <laughs> I was on the phone with her when the doctor called her other line with the lung biopsy results. When she got back on, she said, I'm sorry, and maybe I'll be like Mark. Maybe they'll just be able to cut it out. The baby birds began again, but this time from inside my chest. Sparrows prefer the protected spaces of human habitation. They kept going for months as we learned that she had stage B, unlike Mark, whose youngest daughter believes the old scar on his back is a shark bite. The baby birds thought only of themselves. Sparrows are like that, stealing food from other birds and piercing flowers with their beaks to drain the nectar. I passed on their warning to my mother you are essential personnel. 
My mother is a writing tutor and a biologist. She reads my poetry and understands every unnecessary word. <laughs> she understood all the original lung cancer research as well. When the medication worked, she concluded that she had 10 to 12 months. Then she lived to come back another spring and another spring and another. And now it's been five years and they use the word cured. The sparrows make sleep impossible sometimes, but let's face it, I'm never removing the nest. How could I? Thank you, Emily. Well done, as usual. Our next poet is Gerald Wagoner. Give it up for Gerald. Brief introduction. Uh, Cut Bank, as many of you know, is the literary magazine of the University of Montana. Not a lot of you know that it's actually a town in northern Montana from which I graduated from high school. If you go west from Cut Bank, down the hill and across the river, you are in the Blackfoot Indian Reservation. There are two Blackfoot language terms in here. Suksika is what the Blackfeet call themselves. And Pikuni is one of the three bands of the Blackfeet. Behind double barbed wire fences, the bison herd grazes on silence. The calves play in the long rays. The rest gaze west to the Rockies and chew their cud. That late afternoon in snowslip, he leaned, left arm behind, back against the far end of a short bar. And in Siksika, glass raised, called me friend. I race horses, he said, thoroughbreds, gently pushing the R's, tugging out the O's. I have a master's degree, he said. I teach phys ed in Browning, he said. I've been assimilated, he said. I'm Catholic, star school. But I'm not, he said. I'm Pekuni. Did you ever take a sweat? It's good to take a sweat. My boy, he's eight. He cries, and I hug him. The medicine man said, it's the video games. We all took a sweat. My boy is stronger now. Do you still sometimes make the crow cry, I asked. We win so much, he said, they don't invite us to our games no more. But now, the flathead over in Kalispell have all the banners. I tell the boys, we're the runners. Have pride. It's summer. My uncle and me, we race horses in the summer. I don't drink. I drank yesterday. I drink today. My wife called me. She said, I miss you. The boys miss you. The horses need me too, he said. He came home. The door was locked. 
I peer into my own refracting shot glass lens and offer, your horses don't, your horses don't warm your bed. Your horses can't hold your boys. You know, when we go to the massacre site to pray, the farmer charges us to cross his land. He is tall and well-made, but for the missing left hand. Thank you, Gerald. Is uh, Regina Mogilevskaya here? Nope. Okay, our next reader. You could, but you're going to read next, so let's be positive. Our next reader is Arthur Russell. Give it up for Arthur. Hi. So, um... Last month, uh, Miller Oberman was here and he did a workshop on uh, animal voices. When it started off, I said, this is some high class bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but then I got into it and um, I even read the little thing I wrote during the uh, workshop piece and I thought, there, there's, a, there's hope for this poem. So I went home and rewrote it. And this is that. It's called Mom Would Be a Cardinal. It's in four parts. Mom would be a cardinal, the brown beside the red one, who perched along the fence rail, picked apart the seed pods, gathered from the hosta, exposing seeds like rice grains, and scattered them profusely then she would land beside him. They'd eat their fill of hosta, leave a mess of seed coats and seeds along the fence rail. And flying off together, she'd chase him through the pine boughs. Their nest was in the privet. She called him from the privet. She called him from the privet. His head cocked toward the privet. He seemed to think about it as older men consider, then rose up from the railing and flew between the houses. Dad would be a cardinal, the red one in the spruce tree, who wore his red cap backwards and celebrated winter by rooting through the holly, fighting with the squirrel who tried to raid the feeder, and perching in the blue spruce, as noble as a wind vane. Mom would be a cardinal. The slow remembered springtime, the brown beside the red one, The dirty snow on fences, the air that bore them forward, how dusty brown her plumage. She called him from the privet. She called him from the privet. She called him from the privet. Thanks.
Thank you, Arthur. I didn't know Privet could be so beautiful. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I'm joking, but I'm also serious. That's the thing about you. It is the thing about me, which I like, actually. <laughs> yeah, clearly. We should take this on the road, by the way. We're on to the wait list. And uh, our first two readers on the wait list are our terrific interns in the back volunteering their uh, very precious hours for all of you. So uh, looks like she's going to deal with this dude and then read. Give it up for Tess Congo. with me, Arthur. I told you I want to take kickboxing. You're going to be my practice. I told you I'm not scared of you. <sighs> you should be. <laughs> Break up at intermission. Does this mean no more fingers pulling the knots loose from my back? I know you would like answers and I only give you more questions. And I imagine what would soothe you, my hands willingly flying to your skin, my smile a wick touching light through your lips. But how am I supposed to pull something out of nothing? My feelings are the whole of a magician's hat. I have not yet learned how to make rabbits. I have not yet learned how to sew myself together after sawing myself in half. You asked me to be whole when you were in pieces and I ran my nails over your thighs. Yes, do that again, honey, please, you said. And I let you crank me open, loosening violence out of my limbs, what muscular signature left in my skin, the bruises unseen under my arm, the push, the pull, the drop. What a drag, the movie I watch over and over again in my head without being able to be reimbursed for the ticket's cost. You asked what's wrong, as if there was one answer out of a hundred, not hundreds of answers out of, a thousands, out of thousands of problems. The choice was mine, and I wanted to say I'm fixed, that I have sutured, suctioned, encapsulated the fall-away parts. I wanted to say you did it, that your skin thatched my broken skin, and I will now try to stitch you in whatever ways I can. But I froze at the elbows, a tin woman without an oil can. And now that you're gone or going, I don't know if I'm back in the hat or the box. And I don't want to think how for a moment it felt like something more than the black hat hole of nothing to have someone beside me in the box waiting for the saw's teeth to grope our open parts. Thank you, Tess. Only the finest can intern for Brooklyn Poets. <laughs> Clearly. I just interviewed uh, Sebastian, our next intern. I was thinking, like, maybe I should just have you read a poem to me. Just be like, you're in <laughs> or you're out. It's got nothing to do with your work capability, only your poetic capability. So our next reader is our brand new intern. Give it up for Sebastian Bernard. I think it's good. You, you hear me? It's, it's perfect. How's that? Yeah? All right. 
Um, this is called Iggy Pope, so a throwback to your earlier aside, Jason. Um, all you want is smack. Tell me the truth. I've watched you lick the numbing resin off your master's cups since St. Paul. There is no ritual to salvation, no vestal bling. For me, it was chocolate and Valium for years. You can't blame me, though, helpless as I am before everything, helpless just as you. This poem goes back and forth between first and second, so you're not confused, apparently. <laughs> Trillions of syringes, cows, chickens, kids, rhino gin, a plastic bag staple of sub-Saharan thirst, fall in great convulsions into the northern jacuzzi of existence, the great sod sink. But that's not it. Play our hundred-year-old goldfinch, Mozart's requiem, and watch him go, forget him, forgetting his tears or manufactured sap. To think that if Mozart lived, today he'd be using the Germanic bowl, where your waist just sits on a clinical tray before you flush it down. I tell you the enlightenment is nothing but pervert acts. Look at ISIS, same thing, all they envy us is our perversion. The Pope's main point is meager. Keep your eyes on Jesus and the meal. Besides genius, which is nothing but lost luck and heartbreak, genius, brothers and sisters, is nothing but heartbreak. All else is folly. Anyone who believes they're in Rome is wrong. They're in Attica, conquered and correctional. And poetry? Poetry, brothers and sisters, is the list of interjections while we clean the Philistines' mess. Pickety meat, goddamn dying cattle of the oceans, Exxon, the, the mean and well-lobbied Viagra of capital, rich ambrosia which I suck, you suck, we suck. As two greats have said it, and this is true of the purest act, poetic or survivalist, Hypotheses non fingo. I feign no hypotheses. I help Iggy Pope back into his invalid's chair, and while he falls asleep, smack a hateful kiss on those lips, the pale harbingers of our perpetual masochism. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like I made the right decision. I know. It's incredible, right? <laughs> the gold that we find. Uh, I think we have time for maybe three more readers. Uh, hopefully you are beautiful and efficient, as I'm sure you will be. Our next reader is, I think, a Yop debuter. Give it up for Ellen Rittberg. Ann Carson says that the difference between, or the distinction between fiction and poetry is shouldn't be there. Just want to put that out there. When a tree falls, the heavens do not cry. It, it, if it is the natural order of things, but one was a natural order of things, easy to break in the sky, cleft, or is it something wider, taller, more pernicious, like the conditions of love I often met, the love object unknowing, oh, and wanting her or him over appreciated for all the wrong qualities, the love, her hair a mess, unhinged, unguarded by this strange, often strange turn of events. What is it about love that makes it so difficult, so like that sky, cleft, riven? Thank you.
Well done. Beautiful and efficient. Thank you very much. We have two readers left. Our next reader just got a Broken Poets membership, so she's already in my... What's the opposite of a doghouse? Thank you for that. <laughs> I feel like there is an opposite. Let's think on it. Our next poet is Lauren Gerber Fleury. Give it up for her. Hello. It's my first time reading, so thank you. Cuffing season, in excitement for the coming season, as well as probably not long after I understood the term itself. I love the cold for a way a cup of coffee warms up your soul. For the way you keep moving your body because its motion is more powerful than that cup. I love the cold for the way I want other bodies. For the way skin clinging to skin is my favorite kind of warmth. The way this need for warmth is code for that dirty word, intimacy. For sexy, sweaty summer with its liberating lack of layers can't compare to the subtlety of sweaters. Thank you. Terrific. These posts are so efficient. It's like quicker than I can take pictures of them. That's. Uh the Vanishing Poets. Our next reader is a wonderful poet. You all, you've all heard her before. If you've been here, get up for Jackie Brage. Yeah. So kind. Uh, I was not expecting to read tonight. So let's wing it, team. <clears throat> it is terribly good to fuck wine drunk on a picnic sheet. <laughs> Limbs recoil from the wet grass and your teeth are all stones thrown at swallows and no one throws first. <clears throat> a slow lick of wind, linen corners trail after. It is good to situate aubergine and ceramic on a sill. Your ankle pedals from a blue sock when you loop your laces like a harpist. My dream of you is softer than you, but still I open the windows, and still I chop the gourd, and still we bump into furniture in a dark room, and the bruises collect like loose bobby pins in my mother's drawer, and still we wrap the bread in plastic, and still you will love someone more. Thank you. Thank you, Jackie. Beautiful vision as well. Was that uh, my dream of you was softer than you? Excellence. Okay, to review, our readers get ready to vote. I mean, you don't have to vote right now, but you know, after some time in the next 24 hours would be helpful. That last reader was Jackie Brage. Before that was, is it Lauren Gerber Fleury? Is that correct? Okay, so that was Jackie Brage, Lauren Gerber Fleury. Ellen Rittberg, Sebastian Bernard, Tess Congo, Arthur Russell, Gerald Wagoner, Emily Blair, Alan Braverman, Bonnie Belay, 
Christian Larson Socaris, Isaac Myers, Richard Fine, Candy Wolf, Lauren Paris, Harvey Sauce. I like that you're beating the time on your legs over there. Emily Wilkinson, Emma Rojas, Corinna Munn, John Paul Davis, Cindy Tran, Julie Hart, and Stefan Larison. Hopefully you remember the poet and what they read. Again, the number is 718-374-1953. You can just text me the poet's name, 718-374-1953. If you win Poem of the Month, of course, again, as I said, you get a spot in the Poem of the Year Smackdown coming on December 11th. That is the Yop in December. Uh, you also get free admission to that Yop. So uh, it's an exciting thing, exciting honor for you, of course, and uh, we feature you on the podcast. Uh, listen for the podcast. That usually is published the week after the Yop on a Tuesday. Uh, I don't know why I keep looking at this sheet. There's nothing on this sheet, so let's just put it. It's just like it's like a, it's like an actor's prop, you know. When they they're holding like a cat, you know. It's like <laughs> I just compare myself to Brando, but that's fine. Uh, the, yeah, let's do this. Um, <laughs> swirl it. Uh, if you want to sign up for the next Yop open mic, uh, the time to do so is now. The clock basically starts now, so you can do so on your phone. You can do so on your computer. Uh, it's never too early to sign up. The open mic list will probably be full by like Wednesday or Thursday. It fills up pretty quickly. Uh, the October Yop is going to be led by Marwa Halal, which uh, some of a poet that some of you know. She's in the Book of Poets anthology. That's so nice. You're, oh, you took a class with her, right? Right. Uh, she's going to be doing. She's got a great class on uh, writing and vernacular. Uh, it's a really interesting class. Check that out on a flyer, Brooklyn Poets website. Uh, we will see you at the Broken Book Festival, booth 308, I'm sure. You're going to buy tons of anthologies and sweatshirts for all of your loved ones. Uh, it's a terrible time out there. Hopefully your loved ones are safe. Uh, if they are not, I hope they come to a safe place or that uh, someone helps them, some angel not named Trump. Uh, and be safe and be well, of course. We will see you next time. Thank you. There you have it, the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for September 11th, 2017. Thanks to our professor Anna Pazicevich, not only for teaching a workshop on solitude, but for kicking off the open mic with two hilarious short poems from her new book, Joy of Missing Out, which actually launches this Thursday, September 21st, if you're interested. Anna is teaching a five-week workshop for us on solitude and collaboration called All Alone Together, which begins on October 1st and meets for five consecutive Sundays from 4 to 7 p.m. in her apartment in Prospect Lefferts Gardens, ending on October 29th. If you are interested, check out her workshop on our website at brooklynpoets.org. The registration deadline is this Sunday, September 24th. I say this Sunday, assuming that you are listening to this podcast as a dutiful subscriber before September 24th, which I'm sure all of you are. Congrats to Cindy Tran, former Brooklyn Poets Fellow Cindy Tran, I should say, one of our brilliant students for winning Yop Poem of the Month for September for her poem, uh, True American Sentences. An incredible poem. Cindy has earned a spot in our Poem of the Year Smackdown coming your way 
in December at the December Yop. That's Monday, December 11th. Cindy will go head-to-head with the other winners of Poem of the Month over the past year to compete for Poem of the Year honors. If you're interested in the Brooklyn Poets Yop Open Mic, you can sign up in advance for one of 15 spots in the main lineup on our website at brooklynpoets.org. We now also keep five spots open in the main lineup for those who just can't get around to signing up in advance. You can just show up at the start of the workshop and if you get there first, you can grab one of those five spots. Uh, we also now keep the wait list for the open mic open in case uh, you don't get any of those five spots either. You can maybe get one of the spots early on in the wait list and uh, now it seems like we'll be able to get to at least four or five spots in the wait list every month if all goes well. So, thanks for listening. Be safe. Be well. There's a lot of crazy shit happening out there. The world is basically dying all around us in hurricanes and earthquakes and heat waves. So, hope you and your family are well. And hope to see you at the next Brooklyn Poets Yop, which comes your way on Monday, October 9th, led by new Brooklyn Poets professor Marwa Halal. Take care.